Chicago. This is Bruce Dumont with our Beyond the Beltway analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor innuendo, all offered by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Michael Bauer, Amara Enya, Jeannie Ives, and Chris Roebling. Our program tonight coming to you from our base at the Museum of Broadcast Communications in Chicago, where our toll-free lines are open at 1-800-723-8289. That's 1-800-723-8289. If you want to email me a comment, it's brucedumont at museum.tv. If you want to tweet me a comment, it's at dumo, at D-U-M-O. You can join us on the World Wide Web audio and video at beyondthebeltway.com, and also you can see and watch this show on Facebook. If you go to the Beyond the Beltway Facebook page, a specific Facebook page, it's got the picture of our guests up on the, on the site right now. And again, if you'd like to become a friend of Beyond the Beltway, you can watch it on your Facebook pages. And again, that's relatively new, but again, it's nice to have you with us. And there's a variety of platforms that you can find this program each and every Sunday night. And if you miss a show, it's in the archives for a long, long time. I was... Looking at some shows from 2014 <laughs> uh, this afternoon for a few minutes. And uh, you go back almost 20 years, uh, Mr. Roebling, on wow. this program. And it's one of the voices wow. that you will, you will hear tonight. But uh, I want to begin, you know, uh, as is always the case with Donald Trump in the White House, uh, the week, uh, so much happens in the week between uh, when, when you see each other on Sunday nights. But one of the things I want to talk about is something that came out Friday. And it's a unique thing because there hasn't been too much... Uh, Uh, judicial support of things that Donald Trump has done as President of the United States. Uh, But Friday afternoon, uh, Judge uh, T.S. Ellis from uh, a magistrate in uh, Virginia came out with some interesting comments. This concerns uh, the treatment of the federal government. It deals with the Manafort case, Paul Manafort's case, and the way the Justice Department is pursuing Mr. Manafort. And this is what the judge had to say. You don't really care about Mr. Manafort's bank fraud. You really care about getting information that Mr. Manafort can give you that can reflect on Mr. Trump and lead to his prosecution or impeachment or whatever. That's Judge T.S. Ellis. And uh, it was the subject of a lot of the discussion on the Sunday morning shows. Uh, both sides were weighing in on it. But uh, Jeannie Ives, uh, th- this is sort of the this is the closest thing to a judicial lifeline that is that has been thrown to the Trump team in a in a week that's been dominated by some pretty sloppy legal work by I think Rudy Giuliani and that team. And I believe that the judge's comments are going to have strong political overtones going into 2018. I mean, he's the first person of a position of authority who has basically called into question really the Mueller investigation and the others surrounding it. And, uh, you know, and so that, uh, that is part of what's going on underneath um, all of this. Uh, the, the public really doesn't understand, I don't think, the details of the Mueller investigation. Right. And, and so um, politically they've kind of tuned it out. But what they do understand is there's things going on in the government that are secretive and beyond their capability to be transparent about, and they feel like they're being gamed, and they don't trust the political folks sitting up in Washington. Amara, do you agree that the public doesn't care too much about this issue, or is is uh, their eyes glaze over uh, when the lawyers start talking on TV? 
Well, I think it's it's for the layman. I mean, your eyes would glaze over when it gets to the details and really doing a deep dive into these cases. I think the public is interested in the broad strokes. The public is interested in the high level narrative, um, and that's what's important. And that's what that's what is going to affect their opinion as to what's happening. I think it's the responsibility of those who are actually in this to sort out the details and even the motives. That's not going to be well received by the public because they're not getting into the details like that. Chris Roebling, you're one of our card carrying Republicans tonight. Does the public care if the president is lying to them? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you think this president has been lying about Stormy Daniels? Well, I think there are, I don't know yet if he's been lying, but I think that there are different stories that have been told about the same subject, and so it looks like he's been lying. And um, Donald Trump needs to leave all of that in the rearview mirror. Uh, he's out of the condo selling business, and he is president. And if you take the presidency and you add to it, cold, hard, established facts, that's a very potent combination. I think he's got to watch himself on the edges and stick with as many simple, easily apprehended, easily understood facts as possible. Yeah, but when, he, when you're talking about looking in the rearview mirror, Michael Bauer, Democrat, thank you for joining us tonight. When you're talking about looking in the rearview mirror, uh, Donald Trump seems to forget this thing called videotape. And he's been trapped on a number of occasions, uh, including the one that I think is the most important at the moment. And that is when specifically asked whether he knew anything about Stormy Daniels. He said no. And now he has his lawyer talking about that uh, that he was aware of it. Well, when you look at actually the Mueller investigation, the key issue is whether Russia was involved in the 2016 election, number one. And whether there was any involvement with Russia, with any of the campaigns. You know, keep in mind, Jill Stein has refused to cooperate in any way. You know, she was the Green Party candidate. And, and, and that's a serious issue, whether or not there was any involvement by any of the campaigns. But when you look at where the news is focusing, or the news is focusing all on Stormy Daniels, because, frankly, people don't understand you know, the, the Mueller investigation, and what they understand is the salacious details of Stormy Daniels. They get that issue. And, and they keep hearing so many different stories that people have so that, whiplash. So that means the Democrats have, have failed to make their case, even in the court of public opinion on the issue, and they've got to find something else to tear down the president. Listen, you know, Nancy Pelosi basically started to back off, um, you know, uh, attacking President Trump and, and, and talking about the Mueller investigation so much because she understood that he, him being attacked, the public were fine. They, they were on Trump's side. Listen, when he says drain the swamp, the public believes there is a swamp. Yes. And so yeah. this whole Stormy Daniels thing's one thing. That's all been factored into the Trump uh, agenda, Trump and who he is already. But the Mueller investigation, really, the public feels it's an attack against somebody who lawfully won the presidency and somebody who's trying to take tear down the swamp and all the other barriers. And they feel that strongly throughout the United States. Well, That's why he's got decent approval rating I, I'm going right to disagree now. with you, though, on the effect of the Stormy Daniels matter Be- because there are so many different versions of the story and the videotapes, you see the constant replaying of the videotape of the president at Air Force One being asked, did you know? And he yeah. says no. And then, then you hear these different cares. stories. He ran, he ran as a non-politician, but he ends up on discrete situations like the Stormy Daniels. Daniels he, he ends up on more sides of an issue than any politician right. would ever 
have the gumption to try. <laughs> and right. that's right. because he spent right. an entire life selling luxury condos in right. the Upper East Side of New right. York City. And it's not, it's not affecting him at the moment. It's not affecting him at the moment, but I agree with Jeannie that folks see these things for what they are. They did when the Republicans went after Bill Clinton. And, you know, lying to a grand jury is a bad thing to do. It wasn't enough to turn the American public against Bill Clinton, and the Republicans were, you know, shooed out of the United States Senate. In the case of Trump, I think people are perceiving injustice towards Trump. They're not they, because his approval ratings continue gradually and to climb. Comey, Comey is the one that people are really wanting to get the, to the bottom of. Right. This well, situation. there's a comment, and there's a lot of people that don't like Comey for different reasons. But anyway, one eight hundred seven two three eighty twenty nine. Lots to talk about. We will roll on from Chicago. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight. Goodman Theater presents Having Our Say, the incredible true story of the Delaney sisters, the trailblazers, activists, and best friends who lived past 100. From the Jim Crow South to the Harlem Renaissance, their historic journey is an inspiring story of triumphing over prejudice in times of social unrest. Having Our Say, directed by Chuck Smith at Goodman Theater, May 5th through June 10th. Tickets at GoodmanTheater.org. Back in Chicago, just Roman, you wanted to make a comment about uh, Judge Ellis. Uh, yeah, J- <clears throat> Judge Ellis um, asked the prosecutors to prove the authority they had to bring this indictment. Right. And as Jeannie was saying a moment ago, right. the, they barfled. You know, yes. they, they, right. they were like, <laughs> and, and, and then they said, it's secret. And then they said it covers it. And he said, you're going to have to produce it within 14 days or give me you're going to have to show cause why I don't have to throw this thing out. And they said, but this this prosecution is covered. And the judge said, greatest line, I will be the judge of that. Now, I just I which is what we've been waiting for. We've been waiting for what we think is more of an honest broker in this whole uh, story, also known as an Article three judge. Part of an independent judiciary. And, and that leads me to the second example. The judge in the case brought by Mueller's office against the Russians, some entities and yes. some individuals, mm-hmm. received on Friday afternoon, over the transom, late afternoon Friday, from Mueller, Mueller's team, from Mueller, a request to continue the arraignment on Wednesday. Now, mm-hmm. bear in mind... The prosecutors decide when to go. The prosecutor has a case, they go. When they don't have a case, they don't go. The judge said, heck no. You brought this case. You're going to go on Wednesday. There's going to be an arraignment. And these guys are not ready. They were moving to continue that arraignment. I want to I follow up on something that Jeannie said. You, you said that this, when we're talking about this issue, uh, the Mueller investigation, sort of the eyes glaze over and that people really don't care about it. And they don't care about Stormy Daniels. No, they do care about Mueller. They just they have a sense that, that something's not right with the whole investigation. It is feels the, like a the witch thing hunt. That, is the thing that they care about, and I want to get everybody's reaction, because there are people left of center and there are people right of center that I think 
will agree with what I'm about to say. There's enough evidence out there from a variety of different stories, not just this particular story, is that the federal government can be overzealous and prosecutors can push the line and they sometimes can go over the line. And there are, there are, there are, there are black men sitting in prisons that believe that, mm-hmm. and there are white-collar people sitting in prisons that believe that. And th- this, this is a bipartisan concern. And, and, and then in this particular case, although you may hate Donald Trump, and a lot of people hate Donald Trump, in this particular case, they don't like the prosecutors at all or the, the conduct they're using. That's right. And, and the FBI. And you had new redacted information come out um, concerning General Flynn and, and the new stuff where there's more, there's more uh, verbiage there. You, they, they flat out say that they don't think that General Flynn was lying to them. So, so now what? Who queued that prosecution up for him, who's now got a felony, who is look at, looking at possibly going to jail over it? And, and, and so it feels like there's a little bit of lawlessness in at our federal level, but, wait federal minute, enforcement. But, but General Flynn pled guilty. He forced lying he to the forced, FBI. He was forced to. He, was he didn't. He didn't. What, uh, uh, there's a, a help me understand. The narrowest how of dis- forced to plead guilty. That's, uh, well, because he was innocent. about he was going to lose his house, and because Mueller, Mueller is famous, as is Andrew Weissman, who is his counsel. Yes, they're both famous for really turning the screws on people. Like, for instance, right. Right. barging into Paul Manafort's home at exactly. four thirty and getting Mrs. Manafort out of bed in her negligee or nightgown or whatever, Guns and run. making her stand around while this thing is going. Mueller had four people convicted who were innocent in Boston so as not to reveal the identity of an FBI informant, a confidential informant for the United States of America, who was working with Whitey Bulger. Here's my question. Here's my, and I, I'm, I'm going to start with you, Amara. When we, when we sort of agree that maybe the American people really aren't, they're not following this story, are there enough stories out there that, that within the general body politic, there are people that feel that they have been, they're aware of people who have been victimized in some way by overzealous prosecutors at the federal level or the state level. Right, right now we're talking about the federal level. But are there enough stories out there so that, you know, you know it's, does the average person care if somebody, the FBI storms in on, on you at 5 o'clock in the morning with guns drawn? Or, or do they say, good, you probably did something bad? And that's the way we want our FBI to act. What do you think? I certainly don't think it's the latter. I think that... So I think there's a baseline of of efficiency and effectiveness that people want and expect when it comes to prosecution, when it comes to the FBI, where they want the job to be done. I think the issue is the motives behind the action that's happening. And so if there are questionable motives or if they feel that, for example, um, there's an attack against the president because people don't like the president, then that, I think, is what's unsettling to people. Now, granted, there are definitely instances where there's overzealous actions, especially when you talk about police and FBI and such. But I think in in this these cases that we're talking about, one is just what are the political motives that are underlying the actions that are taking place? And I think that's what's rubbing people the wrong way. There was a suggestion made on one of the shows today that maybe the new strategy that the administration and the president is using is they've been cooperating with Robert Mueller for for quite some time now, and now they've got Rudy Giuliani on the case. He's a pit bull. We'll talk about his Talking his about week. slipping on his the, week, he, yeah, this was <laughs> week at W E A K, very yeah. weak. Okay, but the the point is, he th- they've decided that they're going to fight it. They want to fight it in the court of public opinion. And when you get Rudy Giuliani out there and Alan Dershowitz, and you get Joseph De Genova, and you get uh, uh, you know Judge Napolitano all out there talking about it in, in in the media world, 
they all seem to be coming to the same conclusion that the feds are overstepping in their prosecution. Well, I mean, of course of they are. Trump. I, I, you know, or persecution what, of Donald Trump. Right. I mean, there. Well, we're not supposed to have persecutions. We're supposed to have prosecutions. And there was never an underlying crime cited. And I, 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 there, there never was a crime. We have investigated for only 228 years or whatever it is. You know, there is a crime, the trial of Levi Weeks. There is a crime, a murder, and then there is a prosecution. Levi Weeks was represented, defense, Alexander Hamilton. That's the first recorded murder trial in the history of the United States. And what you have here is there were a lot of things we don't know about. A lot of goofy stuff was going on. And there were leaks. We had an atmosphere in which I now believe it's uncontrovertible that Clapper, Comey, and Brennan we're leaking and civ-like and, and taking Tri-fi. national Tri-fi. secrets. so much admitted, th- admitted they, they, this They were thing. taking national secrets and, and tossing caution to the wind to try and make Trump look bad between the election and the meeting of the Electoral College and then between the Electoral College. Anyway, so where this all goes to is we're not investigating crime. Mueller and team is investigating an individual, Trump. And, there, and that gets us back to what Ellis said. You're just trying to go after Manafort the way you went after the four innocent guys in Boston to get Manafort to flip. But they wouldn't have so, as much fodder to work with if there weren't instances of lying and discrepancies between what the president is saying versus what's been recorded. I mean, that's fodder that is, that's fueling, in my opinion, yeah. the, the zealous nature of the investigation. And, and part of the, you know, your point is well taken about all the leaks when Trump was a candidate. But this White House it's awful. Is, is leaking unbelievable. I mean, do you have any and doubt the that, the, that the Mueller questions that were sent to Trump's counsel were leaked by either the president himself or, or one of his top staffers? I, 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 I would suggest there's a very, very, very high probability. Right? I agree, I agree so they're leaking. That. They're leaking no, themselves. And they're leaking, but here's the problem and, and here. They're leaking as, against as, each other, which Jeannie, is the absolute. Look, as this goes on and on and on, the, the public is just, they're weary of it. And yes, they're like, look, yes. either, you know, put them up uh, for, with charges or don't. Be done yeah. with this already. And, and, and so uh, the, the more that they keep going about this and then uh, incorporating another new actor uh, into the scene, uh, people just are like, this is going nowhere, and we feel like he's just you're just out to get him now. You're not out, out to get justice. Step two of this strategy that was uh, touched on in one of the shows today is that in addition to the aggressive nature of, of the president's team, that really maybe they want more stories about Mueller out there. Maybe they, want, maybe they don't want this issue to go away. Oh, no. That's- you know what? Just a minute. Because if it doesn't go away, it revs up the base for the midterms, and, and they make the case that if the Democrats take control, they're going to impeach the president. And if you love the president, you better get off your butt and get out there and elect Republicans in November. It's the only, it's the only way you can fight right now to keep Donald Trump in the White House. And that's the strategy, because they will continue to make the case the president is being picked on by overzealous prosecutors, and they, and they want— they want Mueller's story out there. Uh, I, I have Republicans yeah. and Democrats. Well, anybody, my, my buy, prob- anybody buy that as no, a no, strategy? Well, yeah. I, it may, I, 
It would be a, a sign of the inexperience of the White House if that's the case. I don't rule it out as possibly being the case. I'm not in the White House, so I don't know what's going on. But they, that is a misinterpretation of why Donald Trump is there. And, and misinterpretations of why you got elected lead a lot of officials to get into bad places. And Trump should not go to that bad place. Trump needs a legislative program to improve incomes, jobs, opportunity, he's economic doing growth. He's a hell of a job there. Uh, he's doing a hell of a job, but that is why he's there. He must keep to his knitting. He must keep he's, telling he was these sent, No, he was sent to drain the swamp, well, and too. That's, I think he that's was part absolutely of, yeah. sent to but drain the, the swamp. But if the Republican House isn't delivering on any more issues, what, what are they going to, to talk to the public about? And should the right. Democrats, is, is, it a, is it good but politics I, I, for the Democrats to make impeachment an issue? No, it's a, no, sorry. it's a terrible. Idea. Well, I don't know that the, I, I don't think that impeachment should be the issue. I think the Democrats need to spend time crafting a cohesive and strong agenda what are they to rally the for? base. <laughs> well, they've been working on it. Right. Um, no, I, what is that? Okay, May sixth, Michael. First of all, what is that? I, I think your perspective is absolutely <laughs> right. The Democratic message right now is we are against Trump. That is the Democratic message. And that is not a good enough message to take to November 6th. Uh, it wait, lost wait, Conway, wait, Kanye wait, West. Wait. No, no. Okay. <laughs> now, let me also say on impeachment. You know, the impeachment talk scares me. And we've been talking impeachment, actually, not just for Donald Trump, but for the last three, four presidents. we got a break. Back shortly okay. in Chicago. Are you planning for the day when you can retire to your dream home in Palm Springs, California? A day surrounded by spectacular scenery, golf courses, a rich cultural life, and great dining? If you are, you'll need a guide, someone who knows where to look, an experienced broker, someone who knows the desert communities of Southern California and all they have to offer. That person is Brian Beard, who's been making dreams come true for over 13 years, selling over $100 million in real estate, including celebrity and architecturally significant homes to the rich and famous, and more importantly, to people just like you. Brian's company, Caldwell Banker, has agents worldwide, but Brian Beard is your man in Palm Springs. Call Brian now at 760 799-7096. That's 760-799-7096. Or visit him online at bryansellsthedesert.com. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Thanks very much for joining us. Michael Bauer, before the break, uh, you were referencing impeachment. Why you think impeachment talk is not good for the Democrats? Well, first of all, we've talked about impeaching the last three presidents. We talked about impeaching George W. Bush because people didn't like his policies. We talked about impeaching Barack Obama because people didn't like his politics. We're talking about impeaching possibly Donald Trump because people don't like his politics. That's not the way this, our system of government works. Our system of government works based on elections, and elections have consequences. And if you don't like the policies of, of someone in office, then you go to the next election and you vote them out. Now, impeachment is for high crimes and misdemeanors. Let's leave it at high crimes and misdemeanors. And I think, much as I disagree with many of Trump's policies, mm-hmm. and, and I strongly disagree with many of his policies, so far, I don't see high crimes and misdemeanors. So why are we talking about impeachment? How many people on the left, Amara... Are, are holding their tongue and joining let's you know the impeachment chorus that's out to summon the base because they may fear that President Mike Pence 
would be more scary to them than President Donald Trump. <laughs> well, that is definitely a sentiment that I have heard uh, that, you know, Mike Pence is sort of in the background, obscure, but there's a sense that he might be more dangerous than President Trump. Um, I don't know that that's uh, so I don't know that people are saying we'll not we'll hold off on impeaching Trump because we're more afraid of Pence. I think it's one conversation about impeachment and then it's another conversation about who's worse, Trump or Pence. Right? I think they're two separate conversations that are happening. Mm-hmm. And on the Republican side, uh, since Donald Trump has well, uh, let, let's spend some time talking about Rudy Giuliani as, a, as an example. Giuliani and Trump—they go back 30, 40 years in New York. I mean, they've been right. they've been friends. And there was a question that Rudy was going to get a big high position, and then he didn't get a high position, and now suddenly he's thrust back into the into the media spotlight, a place that he loves Absolutely. to serve, <laughs> as does Donald Trump. How long, given these personalities, how long can these two guys get together, especially with week one being, if, if that was an audition for Rudy in the spotlight, he, he failed big time, I think. Yeah, he might have had a, a shorter career than Sean Spicer, right? You know, for, um, <laughs> or Scaramucci. Or Scaramucci, I'm sorry, yeah, Scaramucci. Scaramucci. Yeah, that was, he took the record there. Uh, so, I, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I think Rudy wants to be supportive of Trump. I just think that um, he, he's also used to running his own show. I mean, yes. you're not going to tell Rudy what to do. He's, he understands how to message to the crowd. And, and so, he basically, he just went at it like he thought he should. And there may have been a misstep. <clears throat> you know, Helping or hurting at the moment? I think it's 51% hurting, 49% helping. You know, he has a, a tremendous background for this assignment because he was at Maine Justice mm-hmm. in the early years of the Reagan administration. And I believe he was an assistant attorney general. He might have been uh, deputy yeah. assistant attorney. He was, he was a very high-ranking yeah. uh, individual in the, in the William French Smith Justice Department in the early years of the Reagan administration, before he earned the position of U.S. attorney in Manhattan. Okay, so he's got both sides of this, and he's remained, you know, current with all of this. But I have to say, watching the Sean Hannity conversation, I really wondered: was he was he completely pulled together for that because it seemed so outlandish? And then a day and a half later, we find out. Quote, he and Trump had worked that all out in advance. Right. But since then, there have been other things that he's said. I, I, I'm hoping to get a focus from White House communications, a, a focus where you then have a message that applies to that focus and you then repeat the message. Did you see? Did you see That's him? That's never on, happened with Donald did Trump. Anybody see him, I know, I know. Did anyone see him on Meet the Press today? No. Yes. Yes. No. yes. How was he? Your reaction. How do you do? And then I'll give you mine. Um, well, I, I, I watch him on Meet the Press, and I think I, I'm so biased because I'm hearing him try to spin his previous versions. Yeah. And, and, and all he's doing is spinning again. And, you know, so he's already lost any credibility with me. I don't know what he's saying anymore. Yeah. Amara? 
I think he he is he was definitely walking back his comments. He seemed to be so a couple of times when he was making statements that were simply untrue, and then he would say, "Well, that's not what I heard." Basically, so he was kind of walking back a lot of the comments that he made earlier yes. in the week, and he just seemed to not be aligned yet with the message for the for uh, the administration. And I think it's taking him some time to fall in line with their actual I, message. I, I'll tell you what I found was interesting. Let me just say this. I thought Kellyanne Conway today on Face the Nation was fascinating. It's the first time I've heard Kellyanne Conway make comments, and, and she was using phrases like, uh, as best I know, or, or you know, things limiting right. her, her exposure. Right. I've never heard her use qualifiers yeah. before. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, any, anybody should, for the administration yeah. should be speaking that way. Well, it's impossible to speak thing, for this guy. I think the one thing is that, I mean, I've been a big Rudy Giuliani fan for a long time. When he was running for president, I mean, right. I, I wanted him to be president, and I, I was still stupefied that he, he never got off the ground. But obviously, Donald Trump came back and did all the things that Rudy right. wanted to do, I think. So there's, a, there's a, a relationship and maybe an admiration there. But I think the, uh, the appearance today uh, was not good, and the appearance with Sean uh, Hannity was, was not good. Right. In fact, uh, as much as I think that the attorney for Stormy Daniels is kind of a slimeball ambulance chaser, and I do believe there's there's some political money somewhere that's keeping him going. This is not just about the, oh, sure. something deep right. between the circus and uh, sur- surface, and his association with Rahm Emanuel raises a question in, in my mind about uh, opposition research because they're really doing a number on him. But I found that in the, in the court of public opinion on Meet the Press today, I thought Stormy Daniels' attorney came across more credible than Rudy Giuliani. Well, he wow. certainly did because there was a specific question that he was asked about leaks, I think, in the Mueller case. And Giuliani was implying that it was that, that, that they were, the opposition was leaking it, and that simply wasn't the case. So then he had to right. walk it back, and he had no evidence or anything. So he didn't really seem to have any credibility for anything that he was saying. Yeah. The, but, guy, yeah, the guy behind Stormy yeah. Daniels, or the, the attorney, I mean, yes. the attorney who's working with her and representing her, uh, is a very sharp guy. And, uh, and, and I think that on the merits, you know, this, this is a lady who, for whatever reason, had this exchange with Donald Trump, whatever it amounted to, and then had a conversation, which led to a negotiation, which led to an agreement, which led to an exchange of money. And she receives a check and she cashes it. And now they're going back to say, well, this is all jaundiced and this was all one-sided. And, right. you know, right. I mean, they're re- he's really reopening something that I think most people would consider to be pretty much accomplished and finished. And he's doing a remarkable job. Now, he's got the media working for him because they're all anti-Trump. But, um, and they like the Stormy Daniels because issue. Because American men watch TV when there's a reasonable expectation of seeing Stormy Daniels. There's some B-roll. <laughs> they do. We talked about this. It's all weeks, over the ago. demographics. Right. Yeah, but it right. just seems like it's, it was a deal gone bad. I mean, she made a deal, she backed out of a deal, and, and, and now so she's why trying, is that? And, and why is that fair? It's I mean, not it's, fair. It's not oh, no, fair it's, at all. No, no, I mean, this is gutter politics from Rahm Emanuel. Think about how yeah. foolish this is. This yeah. is, you know, at worst, this is Donald Trump years before he was a, even a candidate, having a one night stand, right. who turns into Glenn Close from Fatal Attraction. Right. Oh, she did really. Right. Which is not the horrific one I'd say. Waiting and, for the and, rabbit and, scene. But but the right. fact of the matter is, the fact that it's gotten so messy and, and, and that 
Trump hasn't been able to make it go away. Contain it. it, it, it not just contain it, make it go away. It was just, a one-night stand at worst. And I mean, I hesitate about how to make it go away because that leads to all sorts of dubious things, especially given what happened in the movie. But <laughs> <laughs> I think that it's one, it's a, a consequence of his past actions and the timing of it all is really what is the biggest um, issue for him. The fact Here's that the right before though. the campaign, the deal, it's rushing to close the deal, rushing to, to keep her silent. The timing just does not work in his favor at all. Does that, does Here's my I'm, prediction, I'm, 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 I want to hear your prediction, but I want to okay. ask one question. Does everybody agree with what Amara just said? That, 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 that really, when you come right down to it, this was hush money to shut her up before the election? Well, I do. I, do. I, I absolutely agree. What about our Republicans? Do you agree with that? I, I don't. I don't I, either. I, I, I genuinely, and here's why. I think she was digging for gold, and she got a little bit of gold. And here's what my prediction, though. Okay. Melania Trump does not come out and say this is a left-wing conspiracy, and I'm standing by my side. My aunt. Right. She is just going to main class and remain classy, keep it pers- keep the personal stuff inside their household, and she's not going to come out. I think, I think that's probably right. Oh, I think she definitely should. There, there, were conversa- there were conversations going on before the campaign, conversations concluded during the campaign. That doesn't look good. That's not good timing. But I don't think that there is a colorable campaign finance violation. I think that there is enough on the personal side and a history so that there's no question that this was a personal thing and not a... Illicit. I don't know how you can. It was conclude. a regular payoff in that campaign. How, I don't know how you can make there's that conclusion. There's a but. Okay, so so here is how, and I'm not an attorney, but there's a but for test. Okay. But for the campaign, would this have been made? And the answer in the case of would this payment have been made? Yes. And the answer in this case is yes. Yes. Because he was trying yes. to tamp it down relative to his personal situation with Melania before the campaign. You see, I disagree with you. Okay. I think but for the campaign, this payment would never have been made. Okay. I don't think he would ever Here's be. I think he only she sold want her, her story initially to the National Enquirer, and they killed the story. Yes. But for the publisher's friendship with Donald Trump, that probably would have been published. <laughs> you're, you're, the but for test one but too many broad there. interpretation right. tonight. When we come back, we're going to take calls one eight hundred seven two three eighty two eighty nine. And again, according to a Facebook comment, Rudy lost it. Uh, you may agree with that, but again, I think that. Fast-talking New Yorkers, be they Donald Trump or Rudy Giuliani, they're going to be able to just (laughs) so much diversion, so much deflection. No one is going to be able to find this story. Uh, Donald Trump will prove that Stormy Daniels approached him. Back shortly. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, The Experience. Tuesday through Sunday's and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. We got another Facebook comment that came in. This was about Rudy Giuliani. Uh, Rudy Giuliani. Uh, Rudy has lost it, or is someone making him... (laughs) <laughs> Look, uh, make a fool of himself. That's from David Rodriguez uh, watching the the program somewhere in the world. So thank you very much for your comment. Let's go to David. He's uh, listening to us in San Francisco tonight on the Internet. Go ahead. You're on the air, David. Yeah, hi, Bruce. Hello. Uh, 
Yeah, how are you? You know, I um, I got to disagree with the whole uh, uh, premise. I the more you study Trump, the more you realize that the people in New York City have realized that he was organized crime for years, decades. Who? And Who? So, Who? Well, you realize that Who? Election Day last year. Who was who Trump, was organized crime? Trump. Oh, come on. And why why and would that, he never be prosecuted for that if that's true? Uh, well, it, uh, any number of different reasons. Like, well, well but, give, me, uh, give, me, Cohen, give me one of them. Give me one of them. I mean, you, you had, uh, well, no, no, let's just look at it, okay? You, you had eight years of uh, Bill Clinton. You had eight years of Barack Obama, both Democrats. Uh, certainly, uh, n- n- neither one of them were fans of Donald Trump. So they have the Justice Department machinery, uh, the, the, the New York City, uh, Manhattan uh, federal prosecutors, so how can you make a comment on a national program saying that Donald Trump is somehow mobbed up? Yeah, really. I mean, it, 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 no, no reputable, just a moment, no reputable newspaper when he was running for president of the United States certainly wanted Donald Trump to be elected president of the United States. And if, if what you say is true, sir, uh, we would all know about it. And it would, it would be nobody knows about it. I'm, I'm looking at my Democrats. I, I think they're so. as flabbergasted as I am. So do you well, have another okay. point? Do you have another point to make? Because uh, in the court of public opinion, I think you're out of order with that charge. You may have something very important to say, but you certainly your opening argument uh, does not give you a, a lot of credibility, David. Well, basically, what I'm looking at is a gang war. The Trump's gang okay. is fighting against Cheney's gang. This you know, the Bush gang. Cheney's this, gang. This is this has been oh, a gang war all along. This is why Republicans are terrified of the guy, uh, because it's a gang war. Everybody's got their investments. Go to the old uh, J. Edgar Hoover biographies. J. Edgar Hoover believed that organized crime was buying into Wall Street at the rate of 2.5% per year starting in the 1940s. So by the 1980s, Wall Street was dominated by organized crime money. Everybody knows it. That's why the banks have never been prosecuted for their crimes. I don't think it, I don't think anybody I don't think anybody knows that. And and, and Wells also, Fargo just God, had a billion dollar fine dollar and a, without a trial. David, David, yeah. uh, David, you're off the rails. That's two oh, strikes. Grow up. Are I you thank you very crime? much. But thank you for your call. Thank you for your call. Uh, but again, I think you've been called out, Joseph in Austin, Texas. Listening to us on KLBJ. Well, thanks, Bruce. I'll try to stay on the rails. Thank you. Uh, first of all, you know, I think it's kind of humorous the way the Democrats are going after Trump on this uh, infidelity and uh, cover-up and all this stuff and comparing it to, uh, well, I think they still feel guilty about Bill Clinton. And, you know, he was president when he had his sexual relations with Monica Lewinsky, and she was an employee that reported to him. I mean, she was his employee. So he was a real, that was a serious... But how, how, Joseph, how is that related to to Donald Trump? All right, well, Donald Trump was, as far as I know, he had this dalliance with, Stormy, back in 2006, he yeah. was not running for president. He was not a politician in any way. He was not even a Republican in any way back in 2006. He was just a billionaire, a New York billionaire, and famous on television. 
and so Stormy probably wanted to have sexual relations with him just as much yeah. as well the, que- the question have- is you know, whether they did it whether they did it or didn't do it uh, the question is uh, she received one hundred and thirty thousand dollars allegedly uh, shortly before the the presidential campaign, and uh, that's what we're talking about now as to whether or not that attempt to hush her up is somehow a violation well, of, of jo- Joseph. You know, yeah, you know, I Stormy Daniels. Si- Joseph, hold on. You know, Stormy Daniels signed a detailed letter explicating the fact which she signed. So she asserted that no sexual contact took place. Okay. So she is on the record in this case denying that there was a sexual relationship. Okay, that is the legal record. You say you know that, I mean, I don't want to know how you know, but you're saying something, you're asserting a fact, not an evidence. Well, what Joseph is saying, let me, as a Democrat, let me try to defend his comment, because what he's saying is there is a difference between what Clinton did as president and, and Trump's relationship, whatever it is, with yes. Stormy Daniels. I agree. Because Clinton, as president, took advantage of someone who is working in the White House as an intern. Yes. It was the a power. It was, movement, it was it a movement. He would be. It, oh, it, it was a power situation. Mm-hmm. And then because it happened while he was president and he lied about it. Mm-hmm. All right. Yes, it had different like consequences. That. This is what I was trying to say earlier, that whether there was a dalliance Earlier or not, I don't know. But what amazes me is how this one-night stand, at worst, has gotten totally out of control. Holy smokes. Well, the other thing, keep in mind that also just about four months ago when she was on with Jimmy Kimmel, she was dancing all around the issue before this thing blew up. Right. She was was not acknowledging that there was an affair. He asked that question 15 times. Right. Uh, was sort of embarrassed uh, that the interview was going no place. And again, she also said during that interview uh, that she wanted to keep things quiet because of her because of her child. She didn't want her child to go through all this. Well, frankly, last night, Stormy Daniels, when you were on Saturday Night Live, exactly. uh, oh. was your daughter home watching it? Uh, we're going to pause uh, when we continue with another full hour. We're going to talk about more relevant issues like North Korea and the future of the free world. Don't go away. I, could we just... Theater presents Having Our Say, the incredible true story of the Delaney sisters, the trailblazers, activists, and best friends who lived past 100. From the Jim Crow South to the Harlem Renaissance, their historic journey is an inspiring story of triumphing over prejudice in times of social unrest. Having Our Say, directed by Chuck Smith at Goodman Theater, May 5th through June 10th. Tickets at GoodmanTheater.org. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, The Experience. Tuesday through Sundays, and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. 
Order tickets at museum.tv. Are you planning for the day when you can retire to your dream home in Palm Springs, California? A day surrounded by spectacular scenery, golf courses, a rich cultural life, and great dining? If you are, you'll need a guide, someone who knows where to look, an experienced broker, someone who knows the desert communities of Southern California and all they have to offer. That person is Brian Beard, who's been making dreams come true for over 13 years, selling over $100 million in real estate, including celebrity and architecturally significant homes to the rich and famous, and more importantly, to people just like you. Brian's company, Caldwell Banker, has agents worldwide, but Brian Beard is your man in Palm Springs. Call Brian now at 760-799-7096. That's 760-799-7096. Or visit him online at briansellsthedesert.com. Bustamont back. We continue on Beyond the Beltway. We've got a couple of... uh, Comments that have uh, come in online. Uh, this is from PMAC. He writes about Rudy Giuliani. I think Rudy is a big plus for Trump team. They need someone that has a big mouth who can influence people that don't follow this like we do. Plus, he knows the Constitution well. That's one response. And then John Dawson writes, Bruce, I can't help but think that Rudy was brought in to be the bad cop to Trump's good cop mantra. I don't believe for a moment that Rudy slipped up on Fox News. I think it was a planned tactic move to to rip the Band-Aid off. And in doing so, Rudy becomes a scapegoat before the fact that's John listening to us on KBOI in Boise, Idaho. So those are a couple of the responses from Beyond the Beltway about uh, Where former Lieutenant Governor Bob Kustra has retired as president of Boise State University. That's right. And a longtime friend of both of ours. End of the program. He was on he this was on program. This program. The lieutenant Absolutely. Governor of Illinois, and he resigned. He didn't like the job. Hey, and who can blame him? <laughs> <laughs> that is beautiful. I he forget the, about that. He was the second woman, I think, resigned. Did, wasn't well, the, yeah, Dave O'Neill. Dave, Dave O'Neill. The Dave great O'Neill. Dave O'Neill was last seen wandering around West Texas talking to Sage <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Apart from that, a very nice guy, a sweetheart. Uh, Got bored. A couple of the other uh, big <laughs> issues that we want to talk about. We have. The, let's spend some time talking about the Iran deal. The decision on the Iran deal allegedly is supposed to be coming up on on May twelfth. Uh, do you support or oppose the Iran deal? Do, Nuclear do, deal, do, Mr. Do, Bauer. Do, Bauer. Do, I actually had an op-ed do, do. in the Sun Times when Whoa. the Iran deal was being wow. negotiated, uh, a full-page op-ed opposing <laughs> the Iranian deal. Okay, and, and I will tell you. What I didn't like about the Iranian deal. First of all, I, I, I hate the inspection process in the Iranian deal. Um, leading up to the actual signing of the JCPOA by the uh, so-called P plus five, P, P plus, uh, P5 plus one, um, Obama and Kerry said on numerous occasions that inspections had to be anytime, anywhere. Mm-hmm. Right? That makes yeah. sense. I understand. With anytime, your doctor anywhere. and your plan. Well, anytime, anywhere. All right? Yeah. Suddenly we have this convoluted Rube Goldberg type process in the Iranian deal that requires 24-day notice and Americans aren't part of the uh, right. inspection team were, were excluded. And, and it just sticks to me poorly. That said, and I didn't like the fact that we were giving all these billions back to Iran in, in the first year of the deal. That said, here we are now. Right. We have the deal. Here we are now. I don't know. A, how if we if we back out of the Iranian deal, how does that affect our negotiations with North Korea? Number one, That's right. Yep, That's big issue. Right. Number two, 
I've heard some speculation that if we back out, it, it will cause instability in the Iranian regime, which to me is actually a plus, not a negative. So, so I, I'm confused about where we go from here. Amara, where do you come down on it? Well, so I, a lot of the critiques that I had of the Iran deal were because it, it seemed at the end it was just something to put together to say that it was done. Whether it was the best that we could have gotten, I highly doubt that. There were some issues with the inspections process and what was required. There seemed to be some backpedaling for the sake of just getting the deal done. And that always seemed to me uh, it, it, it lessened the integrity of the deal, at least in my opinion. I also agree with uh, Mike's statement about how the Iran deal will affect negotiations with North Korea and everything that's happening there um, in terms of setting precedent also because if we renegotiate it what does that look like and how will that influence whatever we're negotiating with North Korea or even just the summit that's coming up with, in North, with North Korea. Now our two Republicans don't like the deal, correct? I'm, I'm, that's I'm, correct. Okay, my question to you, uh, Jeannie. Um, speak to the point as to whether or not if we walk away from this deal, what signal does it send to North Korea, if any? Well, I look, you're dealing with a North Korean dictator who's pretty young and to some degree, I think, immature. So I think he just wants to cut whatever deal he can. And, and I'm actually not even sure that North Korea is up for a deal. So that, that's, I'm not sure how much the Iran deal really does influence um, the Korean deal, North Korea deal. But I, I think the Iran deal was a bad deal for for Americans, really, giving out billions of dollars. I know, Michael, you, you probably are looking at it from a Jewish perspective. I'm sure Israel yeah. wasn't thrilled with that yes. deal. I, my question to the panel more is, like, this is not just a, a U.S. deal. So, so you had U.S., U.K., Russia, France, China, and Germany yeah. involved in this Iran deal. Uh, so if we are renegotiating, are we bringing everybody back in to re- renegotiate it? And what does that look like? I do believe it does need to be re- renegotiated. Um, certainly, the re- this was done very quickly because it was their biggest strategic foreign policy achievement for the Obama administration. They had to get it done they needed before. A win. That's it. We should mention, by the way, for those listening around the country, that's Jeannie Ives. She's an Illinois state representative. She recently ran earlier this year for the Republican nomination for governor. She came very, very close, and she's a graduate of West Point. We're going to talk about that and to talk about that campaign and the national ramifications of that campaign in just a moment. But, again, for people that don't know you around the country, you, West, you, you learned a, th- a thing or two at West Point, and you're a, you're a captain in the U.S. Army. Was. Was, yes. okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris Roebling, um, the question to you is, uh, is there any fear that uh, if we back away from this deal, first of all, what impact could it have on Germany and France and the, and the rest of that alliance? Because, obviously, two of their leaders – uh, you know, we're in town recently, last week, trying to bend the president's ear to uh, back away from his denunciation of the deal. Well, I think we're looking at a situation in which we saw from France and somewhat from Germany, and I think with Netanyahu's visit to Moscow and Putin, no. I think we're, we have the possibility of a side deal, a side deal that would a- attack some of these obvious weaknesses in the main deal. And so we'd be able to say... As long as a side deal comes through that addresses ballistic missile development contrary to any number of United Nations Security Council resolutions, uh, adventurism and destabilization in the region, uh, all the way to the Mediterranean and all the way down to the Gulf of Aden, uh, and the um, continued incitement of Hamas and Hezbollah, okay? So, So you begin to look at the elements that were not covered because they were right. too hard for 
the reason Jeannie states, I think that Kerry and, and, and Obama and Clinton had put on themselves a requirement to get a deal, which is the worst way to approach a negotiator. If you can't stand up and say, you know what, it's not working out, I'm going to go home. How do, you, how do you feel about Secretary of State Kerry now working sort of you know, oh, as, as a private it's citizen? It, it, uh, it's as, to, almost it's as bad as Teddy Kennedy going to Moscow during the Cold War to work against President Reagan. It, I mean, it's it, it on does. that level of perfidy is that the and traitorous. Isn't that the Logan Act? Is he a violation of the Logan well, Act? Well, the Logan Act exists never, never only in yeah. you know, fluffy imposed, sort of clouds in the sky. <laughs> Mara? Yeah, I think it, uh, Kerry's role sort of undermines the entire process. I mean, I, I think... Um, I, yeah, I think it undermines the process. I just don't think that it's appropriate, especially just given how um, volatile things are right now and how sensitive things are. I just don't see that that is helpful in any way to the administration, to any kind of negotiations. It would be one thing if he place. were sent by the administration. If he were sent, administration, but, we, precisely. You know, but he was not sent. Right. And, 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 of- and not only was he not sent, but he's not even coming back. And I guarantee you, he's not coming back and briefing the new Secretary of State, sure. Mike uh, Pompeo, no. on, on any of his conversations with other uh, foreign ministers. When we come and that's back, troublesome. we're going to be talking about the, the summit in North Korea. It appears that it's going to be at the DMZ. We're going to talk about that, the timing of it, what we should be asking for, and whether or not it's uh, uh, legitimate to be thinking about taking some troops out of the Korean Peninsula. Is that part of what we as a nation should be considering? We'll discuss those matters when we return. I'm Bruce Dumont. This spring, Goodman Theater presents Having Our Say, the incredible true story of the Delaney sisters, the trailblazers, activists, and best friends who lived past 100. From the Jim Crow South to the Harlem Renaissance, Their historic journey is an inspiring story of triumphing over prejudice in times of social unrest. Having Our Say, directed by Chuck Smith at Goodman Theater, May 5th through June 10th. Tickets at GoodmanTheater.org. Bruce Dumont back. Thanks very much for joining us. A reminder, if you have not uh, gone to the Beyond the Beltway Facebook page, it currently has a picture of all of our guests this evening. And uh, if you'd like to become a Facebook friend, uh, you will also be able to uh, watch the show. You can watch the show live, the full two hours of the broadcast, uh, each and every Sunday night. And, of course, it stays there after uh, the live broadcast is over. And Ken Brandenburg uh, is a Facebook friend, and he is watching. And he comes in with a question. He asks, I want to know how much Iran got out of the uranium one deal with Russia. Does anybody know that? Oh, hallelujah. I'm so glad. Dr. Brandenburg, we love you. So this is a question of, uh, you know, where you put the pea under the shells and you yep. start moving it around. Right. So it, it, you have to kind of avoid eyes glazing over. But what happened in the Uranium One deal was that an American entity that was controlled by a Canadian entity was actually there was a change in control to a Russian entity. Right. That took over the Canadian entity that in turn owned the American entity. Right. Okay. And then Bill Clinton got a $500,000 speech. Yeah. And you got a right. five. It, it, it's a, absolutely. It's yeah. why, as I said on this program almost a year ago, Rosenstein, Mueller, and Comey are all conflicted out of this because they were all involved in the confidential investigation uh, in 2008, 2009 that never resulted in a serious prosecution. A phony prosecution cheaped out, took place in 2015. But anyway. 
so Mr. Brandenburg is absolutely right. That's some uranium, which they promised us would never leave the continental United States. So conspiracy theory, maybe. No, no, this is may, not. No, no, no. Maybe John Kerry is now trying to yeah, re- figure <laughs> out what's up <laughs> with uranium. Go. He's, 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 he's walking he's around involved. with an invoice. <laughs> he's saying, hey, guys, somebody's hey, got to pay my bill. This was not paid. This was not paid. <laughs> I got to tell you, he, what, what happened is uranium that ended up benefiting Russia. That was sourced at Uranium sure. One. Yes. Allowed Russia, re- removed pressure on Russia for its domestically produced uranium, of which there's a little, and that enabled Russia to take some uranium and convey it to the the uh, Islamic Republic of Iran. I want to switch gears and talk about North Korea. And, now and I want to begin with you, Gene. Uh, I said a couple of weeks, actually a couple of months ago on this program, that. If we wanted to denuclearize uh, the Korean Peninsula as we define it, not as Kim Jong-un's definition of it, which is uh, at least last week on this program, uh, uh, we had a guest who said that his definition is not the same as our definition. But I said maybe it's time for us to say as part of our, what we put on the table is we take our troops out of, uh, out of Korea. Why do we need them there? They've been there for 50, 60 years. And maybe that's a good show of force from our side. Maybe that's what we do. Now, that is not going to happen. All right, it's not going to happen. But should not happen according, either. According to at least a published report, which the president has denounced in the New York Times, the, uh, the, the Defense Department has at least been asked to explore what our options are in reducing troops over there. Now, the president has denied it. But do you think we need to keep all troops there? At least right now, for sure we do. Absolutely. And we still have troops in Germany. I mean, how I long has that been but a unified country? But do we country? need them there? That's the, that's the big question. Yes, we do. They, they serve as a deterrence for not just the North Korea-South Korea conflict, but really that entire region. And you need to have that deterrent force there. So um, troops that uh, – listen, honestly, my, my son who's stationed up in Alaska, they were ready to get – go to South Korea, and this was a few months ago, and that actually got all taken off the table. And I think it's because while the, we're just finding out now that there may, may be a, some sort of deal in the works with North, North Korea, I think that you know Trump and his administration has known for a while that they were going to do something. So certainly they're not putting more troops there right now, but, um, what, are, but what, are, what, are we, what are we willing or what should we be willing can I say up. one more thing, though? Yes, I'll tell you what. I think this is one of the most fascinating things happening in our time frame right now. Yes. And we're not talking about it enough. Right. What's well, it's, happening? It's and why is it happening? Is it real? Stormy Daniels. Yeah. <laughs> why, is it, why, are we, why is it happening now, in your view? Uh, things it, well, don't happen coincidentally. They don't. I think that there's – I think Trump is a different actor in this whole scene, and I think uh, Kim Jong-un is fascinated by Americans, obviously, and uh, American culture. And I, I think that he wants to be part of the world scene, and, and Trump is playing into that. Now, does this actually end up in a deal? I don't know, but I think that's kind of where it's headed. Uh, I also think that Trump coming in strong with China – and saying, look, we need to impose these sanctions. And we're, if you're not imposing them and, and shutting down Korean um, uh, money laundering, so to speak, through China, then we're going to shut you down in other ways. And I think it's now it's coming to a, a point where they may need to ne- negotiate 
otherwise their their company, which was their their country, which was already headed to collapse, is going to but collapse. But isn't further. one of the things that we are if if he is willing to denuclearize, we obviously need to know how he defines that, because it's not like getting rid of all nukes, which is maybe what we thought you know a couple of months ago that that's not what he's really thinking about, then what is he going to ask of us? I mean, it seems to me that unless he's totally bewildered by the president, do we we not give them anything? I'm sorry. I think it's early. I think it's – so talking about the troops there, I think it is early to tell anything about our presence there. I still – in fact, I even think in the lead-up to these talks, it's too early to speculate as to what will come out of those conversations. One, because I do think that there's sort of a wild-card factor. I do think that Kim Jong-un has seen uh, Trump as Trump is a disrupting force. He has disrupted the status quo in this country, which has created an opening for a reshuffling of other roles in other con- of other leadership in other countries to reposition themselves on the world stage. And so I think they are taking advantage of that. And I think Kim Jong-un is very well aware of that opportunity. I think they're going to see what we're willing to do first, which is why these talks that we're having now about our strong uh, stance leading to North Korea, like we're, we're positioning ourselves as though we're the reason why they're coming to the table. They're responding negatively to that. Given the unique personalities of at least two of those leaders that will be there, and the South Korean president's going to be there as well, uh, are, are you uh, are you confident the, that the president would be to would would he be in a good position to outplay Kim Jong Un, or are we going to be watching these guys pl- uh, play each other on the public stage? Well, I, I think if you're asking me, do I expect at at the summit that they're going to reach some sort of comprehensive agreement that's going to resolve all existing issues? I, I, that's not my expectation for the summit. The summit, to me, is 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 in essence a time for them to get together and and agree on a process and there will be working teams. Now, I think what the government of North Korea needs, first and foremost from the United States, Money. is relief from economic sanctions. I think the That's one right. thing that Trump did very well when he became president is he strengthened the economic sanctions and has hurt badly the government of North Korea and its people are starving. Mm-hmm. And, and Kim Jong-un wants his people to keep him in power. Look, he's, he's ruthless, right? He took out his uncle. He took right. out his half-brother. Well, they suspect right. yeah. that he took out his half-brother. Yeah, he did. It. He did. In it. a poisoning. Of, yeah. you know, so, right. uh, and, and now, you know, he's like any other dictator. They, they want to remain in power and right. they want to open up um, the economic um, – lifeline to their, their countrymen right. just right. enough to stay in right. power. I, and I, that's I, what I, this I've is all about. Say, do, they, do they also want to yeah, ask you, yeah, Chris? Yeah. Does, does Kim Jong-un and Donald Trump, yeah. given their backgrounds, their reputations, and I'm not, I'm not saying there's an equivalence between the two. There is not. Okay. okay. I'm not saying that. But each of them would like a little more or a lot more respect on the world stage. Is this a way where each of these two guys can walk away with greater uh, respect me, on the world hear, stage, and is that important to them? Well, I, th- I think that there is a sense of nationhood that North Korea feels has been uh, denied it down through the ages, and they would like to achieve that. And we saw that eloquently with their uh, knocking on the door to get into the Olympics. But I think that we may infer from the fact that this is going forward that our immediate past director of central intelligence, Mike Pompeo, who is now our secretary of state, 
and who met personally with Kim Jong-un and is the only ranking American to have done so, apart from right. Dennis Rodman. Right. Uh, he came <laughs> back from that meeting, and here is what we know. We know he did not say this. We know he did not get off the airplane and say, this guy's crazy, you can't meet with him. Right. As a matter of fact, we can infer the opposite. Right, the right. fact that they've now got a date, they've now got a place, they've now got an agenda, they're going to have the teams, and Bolton is talking about a very orderly adoption of, readoption by Korea of what it has already promised to do with respect to denuclearization. So you dress that up a little bit so that it's not a slap in their face, and maybe they agree to that. And there are two things. They want sanctions gone. They want a guarantee, just like Fidel wanted 70 years ago, 60 years ago, that we're not going to invade. invade. Right. So, so I think that they're both savvy enough, Trump and Un, they are savvy enough, or Kim, to know that they have to get their work done. The world stage will take care of itself. But thankfully, we have John Bolton. Right. Who has a long history of dealing with well, North Korea and a long understanding and, of what's going on. And and ha- so that was a fact. We have a clear are you, message. Are you, are, you, are, you worried, are you worried? I'm asking our Republicans. Are you worried that the president, because he wants this, this resp- he, he wants the adulation of those that, that will congratulate him for bringing North and South together, at least in this diplomatic thing. And, and, again, all this talk of the Nobel Prize, oh. which, again, may be real or not, but I'm just saying this is we're, – we're dealing with ego here. Right. And my question is, does Donald Trump – could he fall into the t- same trap that the Obama did on the Iran deal? They'll, may, they'll do anything they possibly can to get the headline. No. That's the question. We're going to pause. No, we got we a break. No. I'm going to let you – got to go to a commercial break. And we come back, I want to get your reaction why Donald Trump will not – succumb and be seduced as Barack Obama was looking for that big, big deal. Of course, Barack Obama already got the Nobel Peace Prize for showing up. (laughs) I know. Perfect attendance. Back shortly from Chicago. Are you planning for the day when you can retire to your dream home in Palm Springs, California? A day surrounded by spectacular scenery, golf courses, a rich cultural life, and great dining? If you are, you'll need a guide, someone who knows where to look, an experienced broker, someone who knows the desert communities of Southern California and all they have to offer. That person is Brian Beard, who's been making dreams come true for over 13 years, selling over $100 million in real estate, including celebrity and architecturally significant homes to the rich and famous, and more importantly, to people just like you. Brian's company, Caldwell Banker, has agents worldwide, but Brian Beard is your man in Palm Springs. Call Brian now at 760-799-7096. That's 760-799-7096. Or visit him online at briansellsthedesert.com. back in Chicago. Thanks very much for joining us tonight. We're going to let each of our guests uh, tell everybody a little bit about themselves. Amara Enya, tell our audience a little bit about you. You're on this show frequently. Yes, so I'm a public policy consultant. I'm also a community organizer and a lawyer. 
And who do you organize for? I organize for several, well, specifically several different community organizations on different issues. So a lot around housing, around uh, economic development, and around education. A quick follow-up, because you mentioned you lived on the west side. For those people listening around the country, uh, virtually every night in the Chicago news, uh, someone is getting shot on the south or west side. This past week has been a horrendous situation. Yes. A federal ATF agent was shot in the face in an undercover operation. For those people that you know that, that live in and around you, uh, how does that, how has that fear affected their daily lives? Well, it, it seeps into everything about how you go about your day-to-day. So you have to think about when your kids are going to school, you think about going to work. Uh, this morning, actually, or last night in my neighborhood, we had a 12-year-old that was shot and a 23-year-old that was shot. So this is a serious issue that is affecting people's quality of life. Um, and the city has not, up until this time, figured out how to address this issue effectively. Do those residents blame a particular political leadership? They, so it's about the entire leadership class of the city and failed policies in every other area. So it's not just with policing uh, as a policing issue. It's about the lack of investment economically. It's about the lack of investment edu- in education. It's about the lack of investment in quality housing. All of our public policy failings result in violence, which is a symptom of that. And I think people are really seeing that more as the issue in a failed leadership class in the city. And Donald Trump said when he was running for president of the United States, Uh, and in numerous press conferences that violence in Chicago was going to stop the day he was elected, and he has not kept that promise. He has not. Chris Roebling. Neither has Rahm Emanuel. Tell us who you are. Rahm has never kept that promise. Uh, Warren, why are you here? (laughs) (laughs) Chris Roebling, uh, I was the chairman of the Jeannie Ives fan club in Riverside (laughs) during the Republican primary, self-appointed, I might add. Uh, And... uh, no, I'm, I think I qualify as a friend of the program. I've been coming yeah, on yeah. more than 30 years, so That's right. yeah. either I'm a friend or I'm someone you can't get rid of. <laughs> I won't go away when you ask. But you're a commentator for WGN. Yeah, Thomas. yeah, yeah. And I've been talking about politics for a while. Michael Bauer. Um, uh, I serve as uh, co-chairman of the state of Illinois uh, Holocaust and Genocide Commission, and I'm involved on a federal level on a number of issues, including uh, Supporting support for Israel, uh, fighting against uh, genocide, war crimes, crimes against humanity, uh, dealing with uh, LGBT issues, and and fighting for uh, and issues related to the Holocaust yes. is very near and dear to you. Again, yes. your Facebook friends know that last week your mother celebrated her hundred and second birthday, Absolutely. and she is a survivor yes. of. Concentration camp. She's a survivor of four years in the ghetto, two slave labor camps, and a death march. Remarkable history. When did you, as a child, when did you first realize the depth and the impact of what your mother and your father went through? Well, I, I actually don't remember a time when I didn't know because, as you read in my Facebook post, uh, in the second slave labor camp my mother was in, she was badly injured and her right arm had to be amputated at the elbow. Um, and so I don't, obviously I, I always knew my mother was disabled and I don't remember a time when I didn't know why she was disabled. I, I knew she had lost her arm in, in a concentration camp. So it is, it is the way I put it, the, the most significant event that has shaped my life, that has shaped my, the prism through which I see issues and views and values 
ended seven years before I was born. Do you think the average American today understands the impact of the Holocaust? No, I don't. And I think with all the publicity and, and, and all I, the movies, uh, you still I, don't get I, it. I don't think the average American gets it. I think many Americans do. I think a majority do, but I think there's a significant uh, minority that don't get it, and uh, and unfortunately, that means we're destined to keep repeating this. Jeannie Ives, tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm a state representative out of the Wheaton area, and I just recently ran for governor on the Republican side in our primary, and I didn't quite make it. So the political uh, revolt continues in the state of Illinois, and onward we we will fight. We should report around the country that literally you came from nowhere with a with a, a pack of zero almost zero dollars, and you got almost forty eight point what five percent of the vote. Uh, a remarkable race that you ran. And again, in, in typical primaries, uh, once a, a campaign is over, uh, the loser frequently embraces the winner for the good of the party. You have chosen thus far not to do that. Why? Well, uh, first of all, you know, I ran against somebody that National Review called the worst Republican governor in America. This is and, Bruce Rauner. Yeah, is this his is name. Bruce Rauner. And, you know, I'm a Republican, I will vote for our nominee. Um, and that's that's as far as the story goes right now. But I'll tell you what our our but he our lied about you. Really, I mean, he lied he about did, you. He did, he are there did. other things? You, are there tens other of millions lying about Jeannie? That's are, how scared are there, he was. Are there other things that you learned in this campaign? And, and what are two or three of the most significant? Things? Sure, I think that we proved uh, to the nation as a whole <clears> that look, <throat> if you have a committed group of folks who are willing to uh, put forth the effort, that you can. You doesn't. You don't have to be a billionaire to actually enter politics and fight. You do have to have some money, but we were way underfunded. Bruce Rauner spent about $250 per vote. We spent $12 per vote, and we came very close. In fact, I had almost no statewide name recognition and came within uh, just a few thousand votes of defeating um, the incumbent Republican governor. So we proved to many around this nation that uh, you can take on the political ruling class, and you can get really close, and you probably can win if you have enough time and enough resources. But in this state, uh, you you can't go out and really wave the flag for Trump, or can you? Oh, absolutely. We waved did, the do you, flag. Do, do you for think Trump. that? Do you think that your support of Trump did it get you to forty eight percent, or did it keep you from fifty one percent? Oh no, it certainly got me to forty eight percent in this race. Uh, again, this is a Republican primary, and downstate or anything outside of Chicago, really, Trump won seventy percent of it outside of the collar counties in Chicago, the suburbs, mm-hmm. and uh, and you know there were some salient issues that we discussed in our race. For example, Bruce Rauner making us a sanctuary state, a rule of law. Well, that was a big issue with Trump, right? So that resonated with the voters uh, across the mm-hmm. spectrum, uh, Republican voters, I should say, mm-hmm. uh, just to qualify that. So, no, um, Trump is very popular among Republicans in Illinois. Let's talk. About, let's go back to our conversation. I understand we got a, a Facebook uh, post. Fritz, if you want to put that up. Uh, we have a, a Facebook. Martha. Martha, she writes, troops need to be in Korea, but the region needs to step up as well. The U.S. is not the only country threatened by North Korea. But Korea also allows us to logistically er, uh, allows us a logistical area to launch and protect quickly 
in that region. So troops, bases are needed, but the degree we have, not quite sure. Can I say a, a, yes. a quick, quick point? Um, we had an entire Northeast Asia security architecture for years and years after the Korean War. And we saw between the Clinton situation and the Bush situation kind of a dismantling a lot of, of a lot of that security architecture. And so that's, that's a multilateral issue. And, and, and that is at the heart of our negotiations, of our elevation of this issue. There's no doubt. The first time I met John Bolton in the 1990s, he was in Chicago giving a speech about the importance of Northeast Asia and its role in all of Asia's perception of the United States and our commitment to the region. So th this kind of consideration from Martha is at the heart of why President Trump took President Obama's statement. Obama said in that letter on the last day of his uh, presidency, Korea will be your biggest yeah. problem. It'll be your first problem. It's something to this effect. Okay. You know, Watch keep your out. eye on Korea. And, you know, Trump listened to Obama. And he, uh, he brought, and I think that's why he finally chose Bolton, and I, I'm glad well, that also he did. During, uh, the other point is, during, but the reason that during the campaign, I mean, he raised the possibility that he would go and meet with, with Kim Jong-un. Absolutely. He said that. Right. He also said that he thought that we have too many troops around the world. That's why I asked the question whether sure. or not he would be thinking, even though it's not something you'd want, would he, would he think about taking so, some troops so out yes, of the So, yes, we left the break before that with that question. And, and I think with Pompeo and John Bolton there, you're going to get a good agreement, and you're going to get ensure that we have a deterrence force there at all times. They won't let him get bamboozled or, or, or backed into the corner with a bad deal. But I also think they should downplay. I mean, they've been playing up how uh, in the lead-up to this summit, the sanctions are, the United States sanctions are what are bringing North Korea to the table. I would, if I were the administration, I would sort of dial that back until the summit and not sort of claim open victory in the lead-up because I think it will affect how productive the summit is. I suggested last week uh, when the subject of a Nobel Peace Prize for Donald Trump came up and people kind of smirked at that idea, that maybe it's a maybe it's a three-way prize. Maybe North Korea, South Korea, and President Trump share it. Well, I mean, if if something actually results, we're if we're not in well, Nobel Peace Prize territory, I don't know what is. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, and and uh, and it's giving credit of, but and and I guess you're, I want to say your comment about South Korea bespeaks the complexity of this issue. And all of this stuff we've heard from our Democratic friends, President Company excluded. But, you know, Democrats for 24 months have said, Trump's an idiot. Trump can't do anything. Oh, yeah. I'm never Trump. Trump is, we can't normalize Trump. Trump is in the midst of one of the most demanding, multi-level, multi-dimensional diplomatic requirements that we've had since ending the Cold War. Everybody else has pushed this aside. Even Obama, I mean, Kim Jong-un, from 2011 to present, 89 nuclear tests. 89 yeah. tests of some sort. Are you planning for the day when you can retire to your dream home in Palm Springs, California? A day surrounded by spectacular scenery, golf courses, a rich cultural life, and great dining? If you are, you'll need a guide, someone who knows where to look, an experienced broker, Someone who knows the desert communities of Southern California and all they have to offer. 
That person is Brian Beard, who's been making dreams come true for over 13 years, selling over $100 million in real estate, including celebrity and architecturally significant homes to the rich and famous, and more importantly, to people just like you. Brian's company, Caldwell Banker, has agents worldwide, but Brian Beard is your man in Palm Springs. Call Brian now at 760-799-7096. That's 760-799-7096. Or visit him online at briansellsthedesert.com. In Chicago, let's go to Tom in Youngstown listening to us on WPIC out of Sharon, Pennsylvania. Go ahead, Tom. Yeah, an excellent program uh, tonight. Thank you. Uh, and by the way, I have to compliment your guests because they've uh, pretty much uh, uh, agreed with one another on, on the basic issues. And I'm kind of fearful of presenting this uh, question because they may be against me in a uniform way. But as far as North Korea is concerned, um, we've seen a history through all three generations of Kim's uh, how brutal, how uh, vicious they can be with their own people, how frequently they've broken their word in terms of uh, uh, even attempts at uh, uh, having some type of uh, uh, situation where both both North Korea and, and South Korea could get along. Um, and I, I see no reason to believe that this guy's going to keep his word any longer than Trump is in office. With that in mind, um, would we not be better off uh, to sit back, because I understand it from a couple sources, uh, and I don't know how accurate this is, that uh, he is financially really up against the ropes uh, with his ability to pay the uh, goons that, that protect him and keep mm-hmm. him in power. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, would we not be better off allowing North Korea to politically implode and deal with the next regime that comes in uh, from the standpoint that if we if we sign an agreement that allows this guy to be uh, in power and we'll never do anything to get him out of there, then all he has to do is wait out Trump and possibly uh, Pence. Okay, Jeannie? Uh, great question. I, I can't agree with you more. First of all, I recommend a book called Nothing to Envy, An Ordinary Day in the Lives of North Koreans. And it's a fascinating look at what the, the famine and what they went through. So uh, certainly their, their people have been persecuted for decades now. And Kim Jong-un is, is fascinating because, I mean, he took out his uncle, right, probably his half-brother. So he's not afraid of violence. However, his, his, they've had so many decades of just um, uh, hardship in that country that they can't afford anymore, and he knows it if he wants to stay in power. A coup may be coming. He may be, it may be something he can't prevent. So he wants to stay in power remain the dictator and just loosen up the sanctions enough to get to get by that's all he's looking to do but he's an unsteady character the guy's fascinated with americans fascinated with american culture that's why you have somebody like dennis rodman come in right and he's fascinated with trump i mean trump's a fascinating guy and besides he would just it would just elevate him on the world stage to meet with trump and become and become part of this whole deal and i think that he's more fascinated with that which is why fortunately we have the adults in the room right we got pompeo we got john bolton and they can work out a deal and hopefully get this to to work in the end but i i am curious why i also think that you know when when the president talked about you know that the meeting should be at the dmz i think he looked at that picture a couple of weeks ago yes of the two Mm -hmm. presidents crossing in that little drama of stepping into each other's country and he said what this is show business these guys know how to do a a photo op and i'm just saying is that that 
because he is a master of stagecraft. Yep. I mean, I, I, I could see I could see a round table just like the one we do this program. I could see it split between you know, the right North Korea on one side, South Korea on the other side, and Trump the US, in the center, yeah. and he, he would have one foot in South Korea, one foot in North Korea, and he'd be leading the meeting. And I mean, this this is this is a photo op. Right. This guy is. It's a photo op from. This is going to be a great photo op. Photo op from very serious uh, diplomacy and very serious statecraft. From all sides. Not photo photo op diplomacy. No. I just want to say very quickly, I I appreciate Tom's point and uh, his listening to the program, but I I think that the Chinese, the Japanese, the South Koreans, the United States, other elements in the region, including the Russians, Russia shares a border with North Korea. They don't want an implosion in North Korea. They don't right. want any question about who's in control of whatever remains of the nuclear arsenal over there or anything else. It's bad enough the way it is, but they do know the way it is, and they do understand the way it is. And so we're at that terrible crossroads where you have to choose between reform and stability. Stability under certain restrictions in this at this moment is preferable to reform, as opposed to, say, Iran, where... At any moment that we could get rid of the uh, stupid regime, it would be a good you, moment you to do so. You raise a good point. So uh, North Korea, it, if it's destabilized, that bothers China. But what have you seen lately? You've seen a couple of folks actually try and cross the DMZ on their own, risk their lives. When have we seen that before? Right. We've not right. seen that. Right. So there is something Something's ha- happening so that, in that culture, in that country, yes. that we cannot well, assess. It's getting, it's, right. getting to a, it's getting to a critical point. He has not been able to, Kim Jong-un has not been able to maintain the kind of power that he wants because of the economic circumstances in the country. But I think the caller brings up a good point about thinking about the long term. What does the long term look like? How much longer can he last in his position without being undermined by the unrest that's brewing in the country? Well, last week we had Carl Friedheim from the Chicago Council on Global Affairs on this program. And he was, he was, he was surmising, I guess there's maybe there's been some writing on this, as to when that famous photo op between Mike Pompeo, the CIA director at the time, and uh, Kim Jong-un met, they, he was surprising or he was apothesizing on what might have been discussed. And he said he might have been showing Kim Jong-un the intelligence satellite photos that indicate that he's being tracked wherever he goes. When he goes to the bathroom, we know where he's going. So there, there was, it was the intimidation factor that here you have the head of the, the top spook in the world basically laying down a gauntlet getting ready for his next meeting, which is as Secretary of State, when he's playing the, you know, the diplomatic hand. But again, you know, Kim Jong-un, he wants to survive. Right. He wants to survive. Step one, survive. Step one, survive. And, and if he fears that there's some possibility that he could wake up dead someday, then uh, that'll shake will him Will this up. program survive? This program has been on for th- almost 38 years. We're going to keep surviving. Our thanks to Jeannie Ives and Chris Roebling and Amara Enya and Michael Bauer. We thank you all for joining us tonight. Our thanks to Fritz Goldman and Sam Go- uh, Greenberg and also a Dan Dorpin for their assistance in the production of this program. Don't forget, if you're not a Facebook friend, Beyond the Beltway with Bruce Dumont. Become a Facebook friend. You can watch the show. You can respond to the show. And also, everyone that's on the show tonight 
they are all going to become Facebook friends. So when they respond, you can see what they have to say, and you will become Facebook friends with them as well. I'm Bruce Dumont. Good night from Chicago. Goodman Theater presents Having Our Say, the incredible true story of the Delaney sisters, the trailblazers, activists, and best friends who lived past 100. From the Jim Crow South to the Harlem Renaissance, their historic journey is an inspiring story of triumphing over prejudice in times of social unrest. Having Our Say, directed by Chuck Smith at Goodman Theater, May 5th through June 10th. Tickets at GoodmanTheater.org. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, The Experience. Tuesday through Sundays and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv. Are you planning for the day when you can retire to your dream home in Palm Springs, California? A day surrounded by spectacular scenery, golf courses, a rich cultural life, and great dining? If you are, you'll need a guide, someone who knows where to look, an experienced broker, someone who knows the desert communities of Southern California and all they have to offer. That person is Brian Beard, who's been making dreams come true for over 13 years, selling over $100 million in real estate, including celebrity and architecturally significant homes to the rich and famous, and more importantly, to people just like you. Brian's company, Caldwell Banker, has agents worldwide, but Brian Beard is your man in Palm Springs. Call Brian now at 760 799-7096. That's 760-799-7096. Or visit him online at briansellsthedesert.com.